Welcome to the Dr. Lori Morris podcast, where she interviews experts in health and science, sharing their expertise so you can live your healthiest life. This episode of the podcast is proudly sponsored by Fit Vegan Coaching, the world's leading whole food plant-based body recomposition program for Gen X and baby boomers. Founded by Maxime, whose personal journey began after losing his ex-fiance to breast cancer, Fit Vegan Coaching is on a mission to disease-proof the world through the transformative power of plant-based eating and fitness. This program is the Rolls Royce of plant-based coaching, offering all-inclusive services, personalized plans, world-class accountability, lifelong support, and more. Say goodbye to the yo-yo dieting and embrace a lasting transformation that will rev up your metabolism even post-transformation. Ready to take charge of your health and vitality? Head over to fitvegan.ca, that's fitvegan.ca, and mention Dr. Lori for exclusive bonus savings when you sign up. Don't miss this opportunity to join the movement towards a healthier, fitter, and more vibrant you. Are you tired of compromising between convenience and healthy eating? Look no further. Introducing Whole Harvest, your ultimate solution for wholesome plant-based meals. Whole Harvest is redefining the way you eat. Their meals are not only delicious, but also 100% whole food plant-based without any compromise. Whole Harvest takes pride in their approach. There's no oils, no added sugars, and low sodium. Plus, they have SOS free menu items available. I recommend Whole Harvest to my patients. They need convenient and compliant meals that can be delivered to their home. At Whole Harvest, you can reimagine your favorite dishes with a plant-based flair and enjoy menu items like the All-American Burger. Harvest lasagna and soba kimchi bowl. Whole harvest meals are chef crafted and made with high quality ingredients delivered straight to your door. And guess what? They ship nationwide so you can enjoy whole food, plant based meals no matter where you are. And here's an exclusive offer just for our podcast listeners. Use the discount code PLANTS30 to receive $30 off your first order. Visit wholeharvest.com and place your order today. Again, that's wholeharvest.com. Your journey to delicious whole food plant-based eating starts here. This episode of the podcast is proudly sponsored by The Healing Kitchen, your path to vibrant health. Immerse yourself in the transformative program guided by the combined expertise of myself, Dr. Lori Marbus, and Chef Brittany Giroudi, who has lost 70 pounds on a whole food plant-based diet. Here's what's in store for you. Virtual weekly sessions. Engage in an immersive 60-minute virtual session every single week where you'll delve into the world of wholesome plant-based goodness right from your own kitchen. Cooking with Brittany the first half hour. Unleash your inner chef as you're captivated by Chef Brittany Giroudi's culinary mastery that will delight your taste buds and nourish your body. Medical Q&A with Dr. Lori, the last half hour. Prioritize your well-being during the second half hour. I will personally address your medical inquiries, providing evidence-based insights and personalized advice, empowering you to make informed choices for your health. So join us on The Healing Kitchen to help you step into a healthier and most vibrant future. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Dr. Lori Marvis, and today we're bringing you something joyful from the joyful vegan herself, Colleen Patrick Goudreau. How are you today? Hi, Lori. Really good to see you. Really good to talk to you. Oh, well, thank you. And I'm super excited to really learn about your story and how you 
kind of cultivated this really interesting life journey and you know in regards to animals and you're just your life lessons it's it's was beautiful to read on your website and hear some of the things so I'm excited to hear from you personally could you tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of your story of how you moved into a vegan type of ethical lifestyle sure so I did not grow up vegan I think there's always this misconception that vegans were always vegan I definitely was <laughs> not growing up I grew up in the east coast I grew up in New Jersey. I'm in California now, have been for the last 25 years. And I, you know, typical American household, typical American diet, New Jersey, a lot of meat, a lot of kind of Italian American cuisine, which is very different than native Italian cuisine, you know, veal Parmesan, eggplant Parmesan. I mean, if eggplant was there, I mean, I probably didn't eat eggplant when I was little, lots of ice cream, lots of dairy, lots of meat, all of it. And I didn't know I was eating any of it. I had no idea, right? My parents were basically feeding me what they had grown up eating and what they knew, what they knew to be familiar, what they knew to be nutritious. And I was also the kind of person, the child who really loved animals. And I never, ever, ever wanted to hurt an animal. I never would or could hurt an animal intentionally. And I always say that, you know, you don't have to love animals to not want to hurt them because not everybody considers themselves an animal lover. I was and still am someone who loves to be around animals and observe them and be in their company and just I'm amazed by them. But you don't have to be amazed by them to just not want to hurt them. So I, I feel like I always have to say that because I think my story is very universal and very identifiable. But that, you know, that one people might say, no, 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 I, I'm not an animal person doesn't matter. Well, you don't have to be an animal person to just not want to commit violence against them, right? So it's a kind of basic right. um, baseline. So, but I was that kid. I was the kid who, you know, if I saw anyone suffering and that included people, I would intervene. I couldn't stand to see anyone suffer, still can't. And, you know, I don't remember the the moment I went to my parents, but I kind of remember asking my mom, why am I eating animals? And, you know, we're going to the zoo and, you know, I love them and, you know, I could never hurt them. And I'm sure I didn't say this to her, but obviously in retrospect, I was like everybody else who had images of animals all over her pajamas, images of animals all over her wallpaper, all over her lunchbox, in books, in movies, in games. I dressed up as animals for Halloween. I had stuffed animals on my bed. So in every way, my parents were instilling in me this connection with animals, this understanding that animals are part of my consciousness, part of my life, part of my development. Because even when you think about the books and the movies that we were read yeah. or shown, they're, they're books about how to read and count and spell like these really fundamental skills that we need as human beings and also books and movies that teach us how to be kind good social beings right so again this wasn't just oh animals are sweet animals are cute we should like them it was animals were teaching me how to read <laughs> right <laughs> animals were teaching me right on sesame street on all of the children's shows in all of the cartoons Animals were teaching me how to count. Animals were teaching me how to spell. In school, same thing, right? So in all these ways, and then at the same time, I was being fed animals and I had no yeah. idea. And by the time I could have made the connection, I had already instilled, it had already been instilled, I'd already developed the habit 
of eating animals, the taste mm. for them, the taste for the fat, the mouth feel for the creamy dairy, right? The You might even say the habit, well, I would say the habit, you might even say the addiction. I mean, Ray, we, depending on how you want to look at it, but the point is it was instilled in me. And so undoing something is a lot harder than starting something. And mm -hmm. this is one of the reasons I think people struggle so much in making any kind of change, any kind of dietary change, because we're undoing, you know, we're undoing years of, of habit. So mm -hmm. I went along and, you know, continued to love animals, continued to be a good, kind person, but was also eating them and loved eating them, loved meat, loved dairy, loved ice cream, loved cheese, all of it, Right. And it was when I was about 19, I was always interested in health. I was always interested in nutrition when, gosh, how old was I? I don't know. I must've been about 17, 18, 19, something like that. I had, was, I was working in a health food store. You know, I was always interested in kind of learning more things, being a better person, knowing more things. And so I was always interested in kind of health. And uh, at the same time, I picked up Diet for a New America, which was John Robbins' book, which was the first book that really talked about the connection between the animals we're eating and the animal you know, products we're eating and the detriment to our health, to the animals' lives, and to the environment. Never, ever, ever seen that before. I'd never heard anything about it. Hadn't, you know, I must have had an inclination because, you know, that's why we make excuses about eating animals. We have some, I had some inclination, obviously. I was eating animals and it wasn't good that, you know, that I was eating animals and it wasn't good for them or me. But it was really the first thing, the first book, the first time I saw the details, I saw the photos, I heard, you know, the, the information. And so I stopped eating land animals, kept eating cheese and dairy and butter and egg, like all the things, you know, even though John Robbins talked very explicitly about dairy, I just missed it. I just didn't see it, but it started me on the path. It started me on the journey mm -hmm. and time went by, learned more. And finally, another book I read was the final book or not the final, it's not the last book I've read. It's not the last book I read. That was in 19, that was, that was a long time ago, but it was the, it was the final book that put me over into becoming fully awake. And that's what I talk about as being vegan, becoming vegan. And mm -hmm. I talk about becoming vegan, not as something that was different than who I was before, because even that expression, I think, can imply that I was different and I became something new. For me, becoming mm -hmm. vegan meant, means that I removed the blocks to the compassion that was already inside of me. Mm -hmm. And it was a return. It's, a, it's like a return to that deep, innate compassion I had when I was young, but even better than that, because I really look at it like when we're young and we're good to kind and and everyone supports children being kind to animals and we learn to not pull the tail of a cat because it's going to hurt right we we learn these things and right. and it's very sweet and, and and adults really commend it when we're adults and we're compassionate people accuse us of being sentimental and so yeah. You know, I often say that, you know, when I was compassionate as a child, I didn't, I didn't know any better than to be compassionate. Like I didn't want to hurt anyone. I think the power of being compassionate as an adult, and that was my journey into this kind of unconditional compassion when I became vegan is so much more powerful because I know better and I'm making mm. a conscious decision to manifest my compassion. So that's how I, that's my journey. And as soon as I became vegan, as soon as I removed the blocks to the compassion that was already inside of me, I wanted to share that with others. And I think 
all of us can identify with when we become excited about something that changes us so profoundly, wanting to share it with everyone we know and love, and some people we don't even know. And so I very, um, very effortlessly um, deepened my advocacy. I was already advocating for animals in other ways, but I, I really deepened my advocacy and I started raising awareness and doing outreach. And we can talk more about what that looked like, but that was really the beginning of kind of you know, the, the road to where I'm still at now. I mean, that was 24 years ago and yeah. I just wanted other people to, to experience this. And and that's the most wonderful part of the work I do. And I'm sure you experience this. I know you experience this as well as being able to see people benefit from their eyes becoming awake, open and them becoming awake and their hearts opening and them learning things about, you know, and empowering themselves to become healthier. Like, it's such a joy and an honor to be part of people's journeys. And that's why I keep doing what I do. So that's the short slash long version. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think that's great. There's so many things there to highlight. Number one, you connected to your value and that allowed you to really connect to your purpose. Once you said you like removing the blocks or, you know, actually saying, wow, I'm not living in accordance to my, my greatest value of caring and compassion then that opens your life and purpose to fulfill moving forward with your, your vocation, which is cool. And, um, you know, I think when you connect to values, it allows people to do hard things, right? That's kind of what you were hinting around to. And I've certainly seen that with patients, you know, who are dealing with health challenges and they're, I'm like, eat a plant-based diet. They're like, hmm. <laughs> I was like, okay, let's back up and say, what is your values? And we have to dig sometimes. And I had a patient recently tell me, she goes, you know, nobody's ever asked me what my values are. And she goes, that was really hard for me. And those kind of conversations are super interesting because, um, you know, just, you know, here's a middle-aged woman who's never contemplated, like, what are her values and what does she want to live in life? And I think that's really sad, right? Um, but anyway, that's a whole nother conversation, but I, I love the discussion around that. But I'd love to, how did, to um, just to yes. go on that because I think yeah. something so important in terms of people finding what motivates them as a way mm-hmm. to make this process and journey and transition effortless. And I say effortless, I don't say easy. Transitions aren't easy right. and change is difficult, period, full stop. The once you're on the other side of it, I call it effortless because they become your habit. And that's really key is establishing new habits so they don't feel like they're constantly a challenge. But identifying what motivates you is so important, knowing your why. And also, I will say in terms of advocacy, and I talk about this in my book, The Joyful Vegan, and whether you're advocating for health reasons or animals, it doesn't matter. I talk about the language of values, and this also comes from mm. some work by you know George Lakoff and framing, uh, framing, uh, which is really all about how to talk about something you care about to move the needle, you know, that you're trying to move. And so mm. when I talk to advocates and people who are trying to inspire others, I do talk about the fact that, for instance, the word vegan isn't veganism isn't a value, and the word okay. vegan doesn't resonate with people because people think it's a it's not related to the values they have they actually think it's outside of their values now i'm saying this well aware that i call myself the joyful vegan i identify as vegan all my books have vegan in the title but there's a time and a place it's a it's a context right. issue and so just i think we could talk for hours just about that idea of okay if vegan isn't a value 
then how do we talk to people to their values so that what we're saying, stopping eating animal products, is going to resonate with them in a way that's really true for them. And so when I talk about, so for me, vegan is not the end. The, my goal is not to be vegan as I can be. My goal is to be as compassionate as I can be. So those that's an example, like you just completely observed of compassion being the value. Kindness is the value. Wellness is the value. Responsibility is the value. Empowerment is the value. Those are values that people go, yeah, yeah, I... I identify with those things, but when you say a word that doesn't have any frame, it doesn't have any match, it doesn't match anything inside of them, that's where it gets tricky. And so just the way we talk about this, I think is so important and so powerful. So I just had to riff a bit because you're absolutely right. No, I think you're you're hundred percent. I love that you want to continue and delve a little deeper because I'll bring it from the side of as a physician. And I think as a physician, you know you go through medical school and you go through years of residency and you're really taught of course the pathology of disease and what you can do as an intervention, prescriptions, drugs, uh, interventions like surgery, whatever, therapy. We never speak to how to get people to move the needle in lifestyle and which is a big thing, right? We already know when we get, we're very poorly versed in nutrition and the power of lifestyle. That's changing slowly. It's like moving the Titanic. <laughs> it's like it's like you know chipping away at the iceberg but the interesting thing was my my experience with patients you know as you know I've been a doctor for over 20 years and when you when you start thinking about all the conversations I've had with patients be it stop smoking decrease drinking start exercising eating a plant-based diet whatever that might be the one thing that I found and other people will tell me the same thing other physicians I can tell patients they can, they're going to die early. They could save money. They're going to, you know, all these terrible things that are going to happen to them. Or, you know, if we stop this, you'll feel better. None of that matters until I learned a really important lesson about the value. And I'll share a quick story that really highlights that for me. Cause I, it was like an awakening almost. And was a patient who I had counseled many times to stop smoking. Oh my heavens. Like Mm -hmm. two packs a day for years, right? This is a, I lived in Rifle, Colorado back in the time and he was an old rancher guy. Like he's just salt of the earth kind of folks. And he came in and he said, you know what, Dr. Marvis, I finally stopped smoking. It's like, well, it was nothing I said. Or did. What, what was it? He goes, well, I was sitting smoking one day and my granddaughter came up to me and she was crying. And she's like, he goes, I, why are you crying? She goes, because you're going to die. And he goes, I'm not going to die. He goes, Yes, you are. I learned in school that people who smoke are going to die and you're smoking. That means you're going to die. And I don't want you to die. And he goes, darling, I'm not going to die. And he put out the cigarette and never had the desire. Right. So the hardest thing, some of the hardest thing to do is stopping nicotine. And for him to do it like that was he connected to his value, which was obviously his family. And, you know, it took me a while. That was my first like real picture of what that is to put it into words. And um, I came across uh, A Liberated Mind by Dr. Stephen Hayes, and it's about ACT therapy. So it's um, acceptance and commitment therapy. But a big piece of that is really looking at your values and connecting your actions with your values, because that's where you're going to find the motivation and the ability to do the hard things, which we do every day. We do hard things every day. But yeah, that was that's the piece that I think we need to learn how to speak to people and patients 
if we want to move the needle, it's going to be, it's so much easier when you understand how to get a little deeper in those conversations. I love that so much. It ties into something I've talked about. There was a study I heard. I've still, I've tried to find it. It was, it was an NPR story. This was several years ago and I was listening and I was really fascinated because it was talking about smoking cessation and, Mm. and why people return and, you know, go back to smoking. And so I'm always interested in these kinds of behavioral changes because of my work. And I I know you are as well. And so it was, it's very interesting that you're saying this, they weren't talking about values as much. Well, it is a value. So what what they talked about was this woman they were using as a case study who had stopped smoking and she uh, and it was a real struggle for her to to quit and she had stopped for a few years and she wanted to go back and mm. the thing that stopped her from going back and this was kind of the crux of the study was she thought about how her dying her getting the effects of you know smoking would affect her daughters and mm. and so the conclusion that the 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 you know the people conducting the study were making was not just about values because obviously that's that's what that is it's connected it's i don't want to i don't want my daughters to suffer i don't want them to be without their mother but there was something there about doing it for someone else. This is what's so mm. interesting to me because there's a lot of cynical, I've seen cynical responses from some vegans who say, oh, people who do it for health reasons are just selfish, right? There's this like condemnation of people who make changes. Well, I know it's ridiculous, but this is what, I'm, <laughs> this is what <laughs> I've heard. Um, it's r- ridiculous, but meaning that it's for it's selfish because it's for themselves and not for animals, right? And so that's right, the dichotomy right. that they're creating. But what's very interesting is that, and, and, you know, the work that I do also is around recidivism and why people do go back to eating meat, dairy, or eggs after they have been vegan for a while or vegetarian, et cetera. And, uh, and what, what the data seems to indicate at least, and I'm certainly, you know, kind of inferring this is that there is something about people who do it for ethical reasons because they're doing it for someone else. So they think of the suffering of some, because I'm not affected. I mean, like, you know, they're affected. The animals are suffering because of my behavior. They're suffering because of my um, actions, but Mm -hmm. it goes the same way in terms of doing it, you know, being motivated for health. And I'm also kind of talking about this as if it's a dichotomy, as if we only do one thing at a time. We obviously care about all these things at the same time. Most people do, but there's usually one thing that kind of compels us to go through one particular door. And so if it's a health door that we're going through, that idea of kind of turning it on there and saying, think about how the behavior, your, your diet, your actions, your habits are affecting the people you love. And so I think we're both talking about that same idea is values and also how it actually impacts the people you love. And that's powerful because I mean, you know, I think we're all looking for the the Holy Grail. We're all looking for that one thing and it's not ever going to be one thing, but what's the thing that, that, turns people? What's the thing that people pivot on? And I think there's something there. I think it has to do with values. And I think it has to do with the selflessness of being aware that someone else will suffer if Mm -hmm. I continue this behavior. Mm -hmm. No, I think you're exactly right. And I do think it's the one thing. (laughs) I started this podcast seven years ago because I was like, Oh, why do some people (laughs) go 40 years and gain, you know, 400 pounds and suddenly they 
go plant-based or vegan or whatever, lose 200 pounds and keep it off for another decade. Like what happened? Why were we able to do that? And I was just wanting to learn, right? My curiosity bug just would not stop. But then it just became a cool way to meet cool people, which has been phenomenal like yourself. And so, um, no, I, I think it is the one thing because when you start talking to people and then you just reflect on your own life, we can each just sit back and go, when I've done hard things, because we've all done hard things, people should not think they have not done th hard things in their life because every single person who's walked this earth has. And it's because you valued something, you did something, be it for someone else or for yourself, that someone else could be yourself, just even though, and you're right, that conversation is I have a lot of vegan friends. They, we almost create our own problems when we focus just on, oh, you have to do it for health reasons. And that should be the only reason people who are in the health lane, they're like those crazy vegans, I can't use the word vegan. And I'm like, you know, there's something that you need to understand. The longer you're even in the health aspect of it, and you start learning about how animals are treated and mistreated, you're going to change, you start opening and broadening and growing in that way. And then you learn about the environment. So I have three kids and all three of them went are plant-based for different reasons. My daughter's a doctor. She's like the climate change and of course health reasons for patients. That was her thing. The middle one's like, it's just the right thing to do because I want to stay healthy. The little one is all on ethical vegan. This kid is like all about it. So it's really interesting to see three kids, same parents raising the same household, go three different directions. And so you're going to speak to different people in a different language when you understand what their value is. And that's how we can get our message across. If we just sit back and are compassionate to someone that they have and realize they are different people, they have different thoughts. It's not all about, once I understand, it's not all about you, Lori. It's okay. The other people are going to have thoughts and feelings and <laughs> opinions. Life got a lot easier, honestly. Um, but yeah, I, I think it, it is the one thing personally is to speak to the values and their identity. Ab absolutely. I mean, and that's what I have been talking about as an advocate for decades because mm. it, it's what works. And, and I'm literally, I just put out a, a, a video today on Instagram that just said that, you know, I, when I'm talking to people, my presumption is they are good, kind, compassionate people. I'm speaking to right. that. Value. I'm speaking to the, their values of compassion. My baseline is they care. And mm. It, that's what I'm connecting with. I'm not trying to convince them of anything. I'm not trying to, you know, give them statistics. I'm literally speaking to what I know is motivating for people. And that is they want to reflect their values. I mean, that's what I've said. My, my mission has always been that, you know, I'm giving people the, you know, the tools and resources they need to reflect their values in their everyday behavior. That's, mm -hmm. that's what it is. Now I can say that and know that, their values, they're going to, they're going to be universal. I mean, again, one might lead over another, one might be motivated more by health, one might be motivated more by ethics, et cetera, but they're all there. The point is they care. And I'm not talking to the, you know, the minority of the population who are psychopaths. I'm literally talking that the majority of people are good, kind people want to do the right thing. Don't want to hurt animals. Don't want to hurt themselves. Want to be around for their grandkids. That's my presumption to with anybody I talk to. And if more of us as advocates, I'm not saying I, you know, I figured out the answer, but I, I do think it's effective. And I do think it's um, more sustainable. It's a more sustainable message. I think it's a more helpful message. And I think it is the most effective message because I'm not telling anybody to live according to my values. I'm urging people to live according to their own values. And when you do that, people go, yeah, I, 
I want to live according to my values. Like that's what I want. Right. And mm-hmm. I just find it really powerful and really engaging and really effective and really um, quite satisfying and beautiful to, to be, to be part of that, to see that change. And obviously y- you do as well in the work that you do. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I'd almost say we could flip it on its head. Right. And we can almost see why people get angry or defensive because we're presenting it an opportunity for them to reflect and say, wow, I'm not living. Or maybe they can't even understand it, right? So a good example, a simple example would be, this has happened to me many, many times, is going out to dinner with friends, family, whomever. I'm just doing my little plant-based thing. You know, my husband and I are the same thing, whatever. We're ordering plant-based, vegan. It's a beautiful plate usually. And people make these comments about, and I'm sure you probably have done this as well. Well, so what's on your plate? So I explain, they're like, well, so are you saying what I'm eating is not healthy? And I'm like, I never said that. But if you want to talk about it, I'm open to discussion. But it's really funny because they're already, they're already answering their own question. They understand that what they're consuming is not healthy, but they want to blame someone because they're, they're, there's this, this mismatch, right? And this friction inside of them that they know they're not living according to their values. And they know that they're making choices that make them unhealthy and unwell. And so it's really a fascinating way if you step back and look at this conversation, instead of saying, I never said that, what I should be saying is, why would you say that to me? Why would that be your first question? Instead of why does it taste like so, you know, and just reflecting back, back to them what they're speaking and it's really a matter of understanding and communicating and sitting back and absorbing and asking why and um just allowing them space to explore so yeah i i will i will tell you it's uh, been quite a journey and i'm i wish i'd have been this wise i'm not saying i'm wise but wise <laughs> as i am in my half century of living back then you know it'd been i could imagine the growth acceleration then but if someone would just step back and just take an opportunity i i think we can move this movement so much faster um, and people would stick with it, right? Um, well, absolutely. I mean, we're saying, you know, that it's not about, you were saying, right? It's not about me. It's not about me. It's so not about me. I am literally the mirror that mm. is reflecting back to that person something in themselves that they either want or are feeling like they should have, but they don't know how to get or that they're right. frustrated that they haven't tried to achieve we are all mirrors to each other all the time, not just on this issue. And so it quite literally is that it is not about us ever. Even when Mm. people get defensive, even if people attack us, even if people are unkind or rude or make stupid jokes. I mean, and so many, you know, so many, I get it. I mean, this is why I do the work that I do. So many people I hear from who listen to my work, who, you know, vegans, animal advocates, they get so upset because of what other people are saying. They're not realizing Mm. it has nothing to do with them. It's their own suffering. It's the, it's Mm. the suffering or the frustration or the lack of satisfaction or whatever it is of the person who is, deflecting what they see reflected back. We are not so evolved that a reflection is held up to us that is showing us our flaws or, you know, just, just um, inconsistencies. And we go, I'm going to look at that. Thank you for reflecting that back. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, some of (laughs) us and we welcome it, right. But we might not say it initially. What we do is deflect because it's Mm -hmm. bringing all this stuff up. And so mm-hmm. that again is the power, and, and you said it. It's it's 
A, approaching the situation, knowing that it has nothing to do with you. It's also empowering because there's also the other side of the vegans or plant-based people who, whatever you want to, you know, however you identify who are self-effacing, who don't want to show up mm. and say, I'm plant-based, I'm vegan, because they don't want the re reactions they get. They don't want the interactions they get. And what yeah. they're missing out on is the opportunity to inspire people because that's literally what we do when we show up. We inspire people to, to, again, see themselves in us and go, I want some of that, or how do I do it? Or what are you eating? Right. So instead of just saying, that's so lovely, Lori, what you're eating looks so good and you're so healthy. And I want some of that. Tell me more. It's mm. going to just come out as a, well, what's that? Right. Because again, mm. we're, and we're reactive and we're defensive and we're, that's what we're doing. We're thinking about ourselves. Um, and so if we have the, the self-awareness, just the awareness to know this is what's happening. Then mm -hmm. we can respond in a way, like you said, with observation. And I often say to people, you don't have to have all the answers. Ask questions, okay. be okay. silent, create space. Because what that opportunity is, is to just create the space. Because, you know, there's many times when people say something, oh, you know, oh, God, the world, we'd be overrun with animals if we, you know, if we stopped eating them. If I just say, really, do you really <laughs> think that they go, no, it's kind of ridiculous. I don't really think that. Right. But it's their kind of knee jerk reaction because they don't know what else to say or they have fears or they have or they have ignorance around an issue. And so if I just create the space and go, eh, tell me more about that. Tell me more how that would really play out instead of me feeling like I have to have the answer to that, to any of these questions that people ask about protein, about nutrients, about just say, you tell me, tell me what your fears are. Tell me what your concerns are. You tell me more. That draws people out. It draws, you know, it draws that out. And it also makes people accountable for what they're saying because now they have to go, oh yeah, I don't really know anything about that. <laughs> right? Or like, <laughs> you know, I don't know how much protein I'm eating as someone who eats meat. But so yeah, no, I don't know anything. If we Bring, bring it down enough to go, this isn't about me. I don't have to have all the answers. Make someone else a cunt. You tell me, tell me more about that. Anyway, so that was just- No, I agree. I think that's great. You know, one thing that people can do in any conversation, like you said, this, this, this is beneficial in many ways of the communication is just reflecting back what they're saying. So you're telling me that the animals will overrun the earth. Tell me more. Am I, am I hearing you correctly? Share with me, explain, right? You're, you're asking them to elevate the conversation and give facts to back it up, which I would almost be careful because sometimes when we do that, we also don't want to say, yeah, but I have the answer, but you go ahead and tell me what you think. And I'm, because <laughs> I've been known to do that myself because I, I can be a little sassy, but you know, I, I love that though. You're exactly right. And there's a, I can't remember who wrote the books this left me at the moment, the Amago therapy, but it's this really interesting communication style where you reflect back to what the person's saying and then they reflect back to you and you to make sure that you understand each other. But there's two things that are hearing because we all want to be seen and heard, right? We want to be valued. We want to be seen and felt like someone sees us. And I think at the end of life, that's what people I say, you know, at the end of your life, do you want to, what do you want to be remembered for? It's not because you spent 15 hours a day at work. It's, it's all the relationships, it's the memories, it's the experiences. But if we 
understand that and look in those small conversations, you can have some really deep and meaningful conversations and people will be more open to your conversation about a very powerful subject. You're just asking them to turn into something that they've walked away from because it's easier to avoid, not really, you're causing more pain by avoidance, but turn into a, a uncomfortable conversation. I think this goes back to anxiety and depression in many places, not all of it, of course, but people feel anxious and they get more and more anxious about smaller things. Like I have patients who wake up in the middle of the night in the middle of an anxiety, it's literally an acute anxiety attack in, you know, and me, I shouldn't have done family medicine. Maybe I should have done psychiatry, but the, that there is something there that we're avoiding, right? The more we avoid, the bigger it grows. And um, yeah, so I almost think there's something to that in just everyday conversations, but especially when we're talking about things that can change the lives of animals, people, the environment, it's such an important topic. We got to be better communicators, all of us, but if you, yeah, that's true. It's fascinating. Yeah, I, I love this. I often say, because what you're saying, I mean, you know, we get so hung up on wanting to win the argument. And mm. again, to your point, we all want to be heard, right? And so mm -hmm. we want to have the answers. We want to know. The, and so I often say, do you want to be right or do you want to be effective? Because in the mm. end, you know, that's really, it's going to come down. And if you want to be right, go ahead. You can both keep doing your argument, sure, spout statistics and try to win that one and up them, you know, and then that happens in both ways, right? But if you want to be effective, and that means connecting, effective doesn't just yeah. mean, again, you're winning the argument or, you know, or you walked away, made, you know, having made them vegan effective means for me is connecting and mm. and inspiring and I can control that I can't control how someone's going to take what I say but what I can control right. is I'm going to be as open and communicative and compassionate as as I can be so you know I mean right beyond this issue I mean if we could all just give each other the benefit of the doubt and know that you know we're all coming from the best intentions and uh, you know um we, we would be so much better off and you're absolutely right in these in these small moments in these small conversations there's so much potential and we i think we miss these opportunities but that's why we're chatting so we can hopefully inspire mm. more of these conversations yeah Absolutely. It's funny though, because you, you know, it's kind of going back. I was working on something you said about, you know, people saying they avoid the conversation because they don't tell people they're vegan or plant-based or for whatever, whatever the, the, the language you prefer, your, your label of choice, I should say. Um, yeah. It's interesting because we, I have this conversation a lot with my patients who engage in a plant-based diet. They live in the heart of Texas or the South or they live in a community that doesn't support that or they're the only ones. And, you know, nobody wants to be a social outcast. I, um, I'll take that back. Some people relish in wanting to be an outcast and that's how they, <laughs> they, they anyway. But it is, it's really interesting, those conversations because they are exactly, you're exactly right. I well, they'll, you know, I try to give them things that they can say. And, you know, it's like, you don't have to have all the answers. I said, you can blame this on me. Just say this crazy doctor has me on this diet, but you know, it's working for me. And that's all at the end of the day. That's all you have to say. It's working for me. This is a personal choice that I've chosen. If you want, are you more uh, curious? Here's some resources, you know, and I always give them, you send them to Dr. Greger's website or send them to my website or send them to whatever, you know, a book or something or a documentary. There's multiple ways to introduce this in a less confronting manner. And yeah, that, and that they seem to calm down because it's almost like anxiety. I think they build their own story and create such a concern and worry 
of something that's probably never going to happen, that they find it easier to go back to eating this way. And I think sometimes that's when we hear people, I don't know, I'd love to hear some of the stories of why people were vegan and chose to not, you know, be vegan anymore, because they never, I don't think they ever connected, like you said, to the component of someone suffering, truly, because um, they, they're making a choice again now to, you know, be a part of that. Yeah, well, I mean, you'd think we would have planned the segue because it's exactly um, what I found in my work is the social aspects is that mm -hmm. idea of, you know, not feeling like you belong, that, you know, what we underestimate as advocates as vegans as beings is that we really underestimate how much we are social beings and so when mm -hmm. someone stops being vegan and someone you know hears about that and they judge that person for you know caring more about themselves than about you know the larger issues again it's missing the point which is they were struggling with something i'd rather know what they were struggling with so that i as an advocate can help in my messaging and make sure that i'm giving people what they need to to, to stay the course. And that doesn't mean, you know, I use the word recidivism, which might sound, you know, because it's associated often with, you know, criminal activity. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's a, it's a shortcut word to, you know, talk about what we're talking about. And we're all on the journey. And I know some people who, you know, which the statistics also show is that often people who stop being vegan or vegetarian come back again. And so we want mm -hmm. a welcoming community to be able to welcome them back and help them with whatever they struggled right. with before. But to answer your question, what I have found is it is the social aspects. It's this feeling of not belonging because first of all, we are in a society where eating animal products is the status quo, obviously, you know, it, we are the minority, the people who are not eating animal products, right? So everyone's right. eating animal products and it's in every way we're getting the message that we should and that it's good and that it's necessary and that, you know, we have to and all of the things from our friends, from our family, from our coworkers, from the marketing, from the food industries, from doctors, from, yes. you know, from all of it. So we're getting this message. And so A, there's fear in stopping because of course we're getting all of these messages saying it's going to be hard. You're not going to get the nutrients. It's not going to be satisfying. You're not going to feel full. You're going to lose weight. You're going to gain weight. You're going to be sick. You're going to be whatever, right? All of the things. Right. And so people have all of these fears and anxieties, fine. And then- if when they make the change, they don't feel that they're part of the communities they were once part of, their church, their religion, their family, their workplace, right? All of those things. It is going to, so back to the values, it is going to be easier to deny your values than to keep living according to your values and feel that you don't belong in the communities mm -hmm. that especially you once belonged in. Now, what's mm -hmm. the answer? The answer isn't anybody else doing anything different because it's just going to keep, that's what, that's what the world looks like. The answer mm -hmm. is how do you respond to that? And so one answer is that self-effacement that a lot of people have when they make this switch. No, no, don't worry about me. I don't need you to go out. Of my, I don't want to say anything because I don't want to upset anybody. No, 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 don't worry. I'll bring my own food. That's self-effacement. That's already putting you in this place of, you know, no, 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 playing small. 
But if you just show up, like you said, you just show up. This is how I eat. This is who I am. I'm, I love that. I'm happy. It's working for me. It makes me feel good. Then people, again, it doesn't matter how people respond. The point is it gives you a sense of purpose and, and empowerment and identity that then does make you feel like you don't have to apologize. You don't have to be self-effacing. And so even in a community where maybe they're still eating animal products, you feel better because you're just showing up proud. The truth is people will be inspired by that and they mm-hmm. might not maybe become vegan, although many do, because this is how we are as human beings, right? We're inspired by each other, but they will at least come around to asking you questions or accepting or cooking for you. Or maybe the first year people are going to push back and resist and, you know, be defensive and make jokes and whatever, and think that, you know, you're you know, denying you your grandmother's, you know, legacy by not making her mac and cheese, right? I mean, there's gonna, those are the things that happen because people don't like when other people change because it means the dance has to change. So that's all the stuff. But if we can just know that and show up and go, again, none of that has anything to do with me, but me playing small doesn't help. Those are the kinds of things that I can at least say to the person who is vegan, plant-based, who may struggle, who who may eventually struggle, who may not know that they're going to struggle someday and say, no, 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 here's what's going, here's what you can do to shore yourself up, to feel more confident. And then of course, there's lots of other things to talk about in terms of other reasons people go back. And some of it, I think does have to do with, I think a big part of social aspects. Uh, And I think the other part is when it comes to people who are making the decision for health reasons, because in both cases, we're talking about extremes, right? Well, I'll say one more thing in terms Uh of animals ethics and people who do it for ethical reasons we can over we can we can we can go through you know what has typically been called um compassion fatigue I don't really like the term compassion fatigue because for me the issue isn't that when we're bearing witness and we're aware of animal abuse and we're you know we're bearing witness to animal cruelty that we're our compassion is fatigued. It's actually, you know, our compassion that will save us. So I prefer um, empathic um, fatigue, like an over um, empathic response. And so when that happens, that can also lead to depression and anxiety and burnout. And that can lead to people stopping being vegan. When again, it's just a matter of being more balanced in, in bearing witness. I don't think you should stop bearing witness, but maybe stop for a while, especially if it is creating despair. (laughs) You know, if you're feeling hopeless, if you're feeling depressed, it's not helping. So, okay. How do you just reel that back? Still be present, still be joyful, still be aware, uh, still be active, but also prioritizing self-care. So that's another reason people, um, return to eating animal products. And then the other one I would say, the big one would be rigid eating. So if you are making choices, and I'm sure you've seen this, where you are, you know, there's such a deprivation of calories that you actually aren't feeling good and you are lethargic and you are losing weight to the degree that, again, you're lethargic, you're not, you're not well, or that you're actually rigidly eating so much that you're actually not getting nutrients because you're only eating fruit or you're only eating melon, you know, and you're not getting a variety of nutrients, then that can all also lead you back. And in all of those cases, it is very rare that someone is going to say, in all of these cases, it is rare that someone's going to say, 
Yeah, it matters more to me that I belong than live according to my values. Yeah, it, you know, I, what people are going to say is that they had to go back to eating animal products because they were compelled to, because they weren't well, because it didn't work for them, because veganism isn't healthy, right? So instead of, you know, kind of recognizing that there were other ways maybe to be vegan, to be plant-based, what we tend to do is say, um, you know, I had to, I didn't want to, I didn't want to go back to eating animal products, but I had to. So that's another conversation around, you know, how we frame that. And then, you know, again, how we can help people. I'm not saying that there aren't real cases of people, you know, not being well, but I think if we unpack it, it's a lot more complicated and nuanced than just veganism isn't healthy, which is, you know, tends to be what the ex-vegans, you know, might say. So again, lots to unpack there, but but those are the three main um, components, I would say, of what, what triggers people to going back to eating meat, dairy, and eggs. Yeah, that's a really good point. The The social one's a big one, especially if they're the only ones and they're doing it for health reasons. But I was watching you as you were describing someone feeling small and you literally physically got small. It's interesting that you said that because they contracted and then you're like, but then, yeah. And like you presented yourself and it was just a really fun Thing to watch as you were discussing that but um you know you're exactly right the the ethical component um i think is why so many people even will eat a junk food vegan diet and stay with it right because they're so connected to their purpose versus someone who's moving this way for health reasons but then they're being rejected socially and they haven't quite grasped the the virtue because I almost think health isn't a value. It's there's something it's a deeper than like, why do you want to be healthy? Right. Because, because people tell me I should be, why should tell, you know, and just, just getting, like you said, back to your why, but I really, I really like that idea that you were describing um, of, of understanding why people would walk away because I get a question and people like, um, was it a, uh, Miley Cyrus. So she went vegan for a bit. And then she said she started eating fish and felt better. I was like, maybe she wasn't eating enough calories. Like you said, people just eat a fruit and vegetable diet. I know that when I first went vegan 11 years ago, and I was counseling patients, there wasn't a whole lot of information regarding how to approach this with patients. Like I didn't, it hadn't in my brain figured out how I need to say to someone do this, do that. Here's the things to be careful to avoid. Make sure you're supplementing your B12. Make sure you're getting enough calories with your starchy veggies and your beans. You know, there's there's nuances, like you said, to set someone up to be successful. And they would go, they would strictly just eat fruits and vegetables. Because they, when they think I say go eat plants, they're like produce section, produce section only. <laughs> there's not a whole lot of calories in the produce section other than like some avocado and some other things. But you're exactly right. So how do you, how I'm assuming people come to you for counsel about, cause you've been doing this for so long and they are struggling on that aspect. Like what are some of your go-to like advice for I mean, two or three um, who's really struggling on the social? Like how, how do you tell them? I know what I do. And I was like, blame it on the doctor and that'll at least deflect for until you feel more confident in how you're doing this and living this. But I'm curious what you suggest. Yeah. And I just want to say, I have a podcast episode on ex-vegans and using the Miley Cyrus example, because it became such a 
freaking thing on the internet. And I never reference celebrities. I just don't. It's just not in my zeitgeist. And I thought this is so funny that I'm talking about a celebrity. But she was. It was a good way to frame this bigger topic on ex vegans because especially vegans are just all up in arms about it, and they act like just because someone's a celebrity, they're not human anymore. I mean, she has the same social anxieties. She has the same limitations. She has the same fears. She has the same misinformation. And of course, what got vegan so upset was because she would frame it as I wasn't well and therefore misrepresenting veganism and giving veganism a bad name as if one person could have that power and and I will say just on that note one of the things I say in that episode is what we underestimate is the changes people make in their lives tend to be more inspired majority wise tend to be more inspired by people who are in their lives than they are by celebrities so again, we underestimate the power we have with the people in our lives when we play small in these ways and we don't show up and, and, and just really own our, our, who we are. Uh, so, so, you know, oh, she gave veganism a bad name. You know, she's one person. Yes. I know she has millions and millions of followers, but they're all not lemmings. They all don't go, oh, she's vegan. I'm going to be vegan. Oh, she's not vegan. I'm not going to be vegan. I'm not gonna, it's just not, it doesn't work that way. People are a little bit more discerning than that. I know people don't want to believe that. I know, I know it seems that people aren't discerning, but there's something about, you know, their values and their identity that, you know, is inspired or not by someone. And it, they're, they're, they don't just follow suit because someone makes a change who's a celebrity. So again, own your power. So, you know, interestingly, um, some of it, I talk a lot about language and framing in my work, and some of it is related to what we've talked about, which is this idea of the plant-based, vegan, whatever, whatever, that what this, what I'm interested in is what the studies seem to show and what I'm also kind of gleaning from what I'm seeing anecdotally, but also from some of this research is identity is a huge part of this. And so it's the difference between saying I eat vegan and I am vegan or I eat plant-based and I am plant-based. So whatever the actual label is, doesn't matter as much as if you own it or not. And so that's one thing I would say is when it when we embrace it as our identity, and I think again, that's why vegans for ethical reasons has, have tended to, it's not a hundred, it's not a hundred percent. There are vegans for, there are people who are vegan for ethical reasons who go back to eating meat, dairy and eggs, right? Um, so it's not a hundred, but it tends to, it seems that, you know, when we have, again, this kind of ethic, this value that we're holding on to, that does compel us to stay the course more than if we're doing it, you know, for, for health reasons, it's what we see. Um, but if that's the case, then if it really is about identity and saying I am plant-based is one way to then own that as an identity. And as you're going along that, you'll realize that in the beginning, I think a lot of people think that this identity competes with other identities as opposed to seeing it as a complement to and a reflection of the other values, right? Or identities. So people think I can't be vegan and name it, right? I can't be vegan because I'm X. I can't be vegan because I'm I'm Italian. I can't be vegan because I grew up Jewish. I can't be vegan because I'm Catholic. I can't be vegan because I'm Jewish. I can't be vegan because I'm Muslim. Like we have these impressions that those are the identities. I can't be vegan because I'm a man. I can't be vegan because I'm a weightlifter. I can't be vegan because I'm a mother, right? I mean, so all these ways we think vegan, 
competes with these other identities, which again, why we have to talk about veganism, what's underneath that, which is mm -hmm. I'm compassionate. Therefore, <laughs> I, you know, I'm, or I'm Muslim, therefore I'm compassionate. I'm Catholic Christian, therefore I'm compassionate. Oh, wait, okay. Or, or, or wellness is a value. And you said deeper, right? Deeper, deeper, you know, you know, wanting to be around and connect with the family I love so much. Oh, okay. Well, I was taught all those things being, you know, an Irish uh, Catholic um, girl in New Jersey. I mean, right. So the point is we are many things. We are many mm. things. And that is one of the ways that we manifest the values we have being vegan as, as, as it correlates with the other identities. So it's, it's owning the identity, but also seeing it not as a competition with the other identities. And so that's what I would say to someone is, and how does playing small serve you? And how is it serving your relationships? And how is it serving what you say you really want, right? Mm -hmm. Literally, my hope for people is that they reflect their deepest values in their everyday behavior. That's what I want mm -hmm. for people. And so when I mirror that back to someone who comes to me struggling, I don't have to say much more than that. And the last several consultations I've done with, um, with especially women one-on-one -on -one, have been around their identities as mothers and their new mm. mothers, their, their children are two, three, or a little younger, four. And so they're finding this balance between wanting to you know, obviously give their children what they need and what they want, but also not imposing their values, right, on their children. And I mean, there's a lot to say about that. Um, so <laughs> when I just mirror back to them, tell me why you, you know, these are people who went vegan, became pregnant, in some cases stayed pregnant the entire time vegan and then had their mm -hmm. children and you know for different reasons you know started eating animal products again and now they're at a point where they're struggling with that because they feel really guilty they want to go back so I'm really interested in that and so really our conversations tend to be around just getting them back in touch with their values tell mm -hmm. me why you went vegan in the first place what why did that mean so much to you what about what you're doing now is making you uncomfortable? It's just mm. self-reflection. And mm. when like I, I before our conversation is over, and I'm not saying this is like, you know, always this magical thing, but before our conversation is over, because I'm not telling them what to do. I'm not telling, mm -hmm. I'm like giving them advice. I'm encouraging them to kind of really go deep and ask themselves what matters to them. They go, yeah, I think I, I got clarity now. <laughs> like I got, yeah. I, 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 so that's what it is for me is, is, is really just encouraging people to, to just make sure they're um, being honest with themselves. Mm -hmm. If what they are doing is really reflecting who they are and what they say they care about. And I don't have to say much mm -hmm. more than that when people go, yeah, yeah, I, I got it. Mm -hmm. No, it's, I, I hear everything you say. You're, you're the guide, not the hero in the conversation. And you're just an excellent coach, right? Because so you're just guiding them to answer to their own questions. What's really fun about this is the same thing happens in any conversation. You give someone the permission to ask the question and have a safe place to speak it. Because um, once they speak it, they're like, huh, okay, now I, I, now I see. Because it was bubbling up in them, but there were all these other things self-imposed most of the time that didn't allow them to turn into it. And you're just pulling it out and saying, let's turn into it. Let's, let's look at it. No, don't avoid it. Like, what was it? Let's connect to it. Cause 
then people will find that there's less suffering connecting to it than trying to avoid it and meet all these other expectations. It really, it really is. It's not that simple, but it's that simple. Because, but that's fantastic. That's, that's a, it's a great lesson for all of us. And yeah, I could do a whole nother hour on parenting. That, that's a, my deepest uh, values obviously is just uh, family and friends. Um, but yeah, absolutely. But I, I took more of your time than I promised I would. So thank you for being, uh, allowing me to ask some of these great questions. It's a wonderful conversation, delighted by it. Um, any final words you'd like to share with our audience before we end today? You know, we were talking about behavior change and, you know, one thing I, I say, and I, I touched on it a little bit earlier is when I say that, you know, my goal isn't to be vegan. My goal is to be compassionate. And I, and, you know, I think what happens when people are considering making changes for whatever reason, they get hung up on the perfection. And that's the reason I talk about mm. veganism not being the end, that it's the means to the end. So identify what your end is, identify what the goal is and not eating animal products is probably going to be a really good means to achieving that goal, right? So whether it's health related or animal related or what have you. So what I know for sure is that people do nothing because they think they have to do everything. And so mm. when back to permission, when we can give people permission to be imperfect, I think it really makes a difference. So one of the things that I've been saying for decades is don't do nothing because you can't do everything, do something anything. And once you realize that you can move, you can just start somewhere, start where you are, that everything you do has an impact, that everything you eat and every change you make is going to bring you closer to who you want to be and how you want to live. It really does lighten it up for people because the idea that we do nothing at all because we think we have to do it all perfectly is incredibly self-defeatist and doesn't make any sense at all. So don't do nothing because you can't do everything. Do something, anything is what I would say to everyone. Mm. No, I think that's that's a perfect explanation of taking these tiny steps because it's kind of like if you think about it like a compass that's pointing true north and you just go one degree one degree, you're like, that's not much. But if you go out in time, it grows, right? And you'll see that your journey and your where you're headed had a significant impact just by moving that one degree, right? And granted, you may veer off course and come back on course. A plane doesn't get to to from Los Angeles to New York in a straight line. I guarantee it. There, there's there's corrections that are occurring. But that's exactly right. And I think that's a beautiful way to end this great conversation. But thank you so much. And people will find you. We'll have all the uh, connections and the links and everything at joyfulvegan.com, which switches to Colleen Patrick Goudreau's. But it's easier to spell joyfulvegan.com. You got it. <laughs> um, but I appreciate everything that you're doing. And it was really nice uh, speaking to you today. Ditto. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much, Lori.